Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 218 of the podcast. My name is Kerry Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. Well, my guest today is no stranger to many of you. Last week, we had Andy Stanley on. This week, it's Francis Chan, and uh, Francis is is just unlike really anybody else in leadership. And you'll hear, if you don't know him, you'll hear his personality come through and we kept part of the interview at the end in with Francis's blessing. He, you'll hear him go like, hey, I don't know whether I should be saying this out loud or not. And then I asked him after, he's like, yeah, no, let's leave it in. So we left it in. It's going to be a fascinating interview, really personal, really vulnerable, and really honest. We talk about why he left his mega church, what he learned about it, what was good about it, what was not good about it, how he's planted basically what some people have called church B&B now. And uh, what he's thinking about doing next. Plus, he has a brand new book, and it's a riveting book. We talk about that a little bit, too. It's called Letters to the Church. I had a chance to read it this summer. Everything we talk about is in the show notes, so you can find it there. And speaking of books, hey, this is launch month, uh, not only for Francis and Andy, but for my new book, Didn't See It Coming. Actually, if you go onto Amazon, you'll see that people who buy my book buy their books, and people who buy their books buy my books. So... I don't know, funny that all these episodes run together, but we want to say thank you to all of you who have purchased Didn't See It Coming. It's been the number one new release in its category uh, a lot, (laughs) one, two, and three, most gifted book, most wished for book. Man, you guys have made this an incredible month. Thank you so much. It's all about overcoming the seven greatest challenges that no one expects everyone experiences. Like, how do you grow cynical and how do you deal with that? Like, once a cynic, always a cynic. What about burnout and coming back from that? Or, or what about things like pride or disconnection from the people that you love the most? Those are the, the subtle things that really take out a lot of leaders and cap your potential. And that's what I deal with and didn't see it coming. So if you haven't picked up the book yet, uh, go do it because here, here's what we're going to do. We're running a contest, okay? The last one just closed. It was for those of you who are buying the new book. But now for anybody who's got the book, here's what I want you to do. This week's mission is I want you to post a picture of yourself with your favorite quotes from the book. Okay, so it could be that you highlighted it and you just take a snap of that. Use the hashtag on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, didn't see it coming book. Okay, so hashtag it, didn't see it coming book. Our team will look through it and we are going to give away $250 worth of Starbucks. So you can be one of 10 people who wins a $25 gift card from Starbucks. So basically you get the price of the book back in coffee. Like how awesome is that? A free book and I got coffee. Um, So hashtag didn't see it coming book. That contest is open just to get you the particular dates from September 25th today until October the 1st. Okay. So there's $250 worth of Starbucks to be won. You're like, okay, well, what if I read the audiobook? Like what happens then? I'll tell you what happens then. Uh, You have to be creative. Maybe you write it out on a piece of paper or you create your own graphic or something like that. (laughs) That way you can can quote it. Make sure you use the hashtag. That's our filter for picking winners. Hashtag didn't see it coming book. If you want to learn more and you haven't picked up the book and you want to participate, go to didn'tseeitcomingbook.com where you can find everything about that. Hey, how are you training your volunteers at your church? And the answer is, sadly, for a lot of churches, the answer is not particularly well. Well, 
it's time to change it because trainedup.church has got a couple of brand new things I can't wait to tell you about. A lot of people are like, well, how do I know if it's right for me or my people aren't all that technological? Well, well, chances are, first of all, no matter how traditional your church is, most people have phones and most people use them. So what if you're on the fence? If you're on the fence, here's two new things you need to know about with trainedup.church and taking your church uh, online for training where you can get up to 100% of your volunteers trained because they kind of all have phones, okay? Change number one, money back guarantee is now 90 days for all new customers. That gives you three full months to use it, try the product risk-free and go yes or no. 90 days, no questions asked, money back guarantee. Okay, so there you go with that. And free coaching and live support to all customers at every price plan, not just high paying customers, okay? So you're like, I'm a church of 50 people. That's okay. You get free coaching, free live support. So money back guarantee, what have you got to lose? Bring your training online and into 2018, go to trainedup.church and use the coupon code. Oh yeah, there's one more thing, 10% off for life. Use the coupon code CAREY, C-A-R-E-Y, when you check out, you'll get 10% off all your trainedup.church services for life, like as in forever. So head on over to trainedup.church. I think all your excuses are gone and it's time to jump on board and uh, get on board with that. Well, hey, um, I'm excited to jump into this interview. It was a fascinating one, a, a pretty open and raw one. And you'll hear that in the first few minutes. Here's my conversation with pastor and author Francis Chan. Well, excited to have Francis Chan on the podcast today. Francis, welcome for the first time. Really glad to have you. Thank you. Great to be here. Yeah. So um, you've got a brand new book that releases today. It's a uh, powerful book, convicting book. I think I told you before we started recording, a bit of a terrifying book, at least as far as I read it. Very, very convicting. Um, but I want to start this conversation where you start the book. And uh, you talk about your time in Simi Valley, California. You led a very influential ministry um, but you walked away from it quite literally. Can you can you walk us back through that time and space? And I want to start with the question: like, why most people would have spent their entire life trying to get where you are, as you say, and yet you left it and kind of went into exile and started over again? <laughs> yeah, and that's you know that's part of uh, writing the book in the beginning was like there were so many rumors going around. <laughs> I mean, even just yesterday, really yesterday. Uh, this baseball player guy came out and he was talking about, he goes, yeah, I heard you left your church because someone asked you to sign their Bible. And you said, that's it. I'm leaving the country. <laughs> oh, that's the new one. You know, but everyone's like, okay, were you mad at this? Were you, you know, just a slew of reasons. I, I got to ask you what was, cause everybody lives in that fishbowl to some extent, whether it's their small town or, you know, a big ministry like yeah. yours. What are some of the craziest things you heard? That, that you feel comfortable sharing? Gosh, it, um, I mean, I guess the biggest rumors are just more like I was angry at uh, people for making too much of, you know, me or something like that. Or, yeah. um, but it was, they're very similar to the one yesterday of someone asked you to sign <laughs> your Bible and you said, that's it. I'm leaving, that's it. I'm leaving the continent. I can't even live here anymore. <laughs> I don't remember them all, but it's just, uh, and there's, Partial truth to all of them. And I even okay. say that in the book, like, yes, there was something that just didn't feel right in my soul about how much emphasis was on me. I, I remember saying to the church one time, I go, 
I hear the words Francis Chan more than I hear the words Holy Spirit. Mm. And that is insane. How are we going to get anywhere as a church if there's so much focus on this? I mean, the thought of the spirit of the living God being inside of us, that, that is the, the, the most outrageous news. How can we be talking about anything else? The spirit of God living in us. So it was things like that where I'm going, I don't know how to get people to hear these truths. Am I even getting in the way of that? Is there something about the way I use my gifts that, is there sin in my life that maybe there's something weird in me that I actually want people to to uh, know my name or mm-hmm. I want to be liked by them? Is there something that I'm doing that's causing the attention to come to me rather than God? I mean, I'm trying to walk in such a way that he gets the glory, but it didn't feel like, didn't feel like it was happening. So there's that going on. There's this sense in which there's so many Bible teaching churches in my area at the time and going, people are just jumping from place to place. Meanwhile, I hear there are countries where there's, you know, one Christian to every million people or 100,000 people. And and could this be right? We've got strong elders here. Um, what's the point in me staying? Everyone in the city has heard my message. Uh, is it time to move on? But the craziest thing, even that, and I could go on and on. I mean, there were so many things and there was some uh, confusion in my life uh, sure. because when social media was on the rise and it was like, whoa, I, I've got total strangers that are either bashing me or praising me. And neither of those things are good. <laughs> for my soul. I mean, how do you take that much flattery and not get arrogant? And how much do you, how much criticism and, you know, just harsh, harsh words can you take before you get angry, you know, and to try to stay humble and to try to stay loving and patient. I mean, it was just new territory. I mean, nowadays you realize, oh, everyone does that on social media. Yeah. You just write the most biting thing so that someone will listen to you and you learn to take everything with a grain of salt. But back then it was... Uh, it was all new, wasn't it? Yeah, remember that? It was just weird. Oh, yeah. It used to be like, if you want to confront me, you got to find me. And <laughs> you don't, you know, I mean, I, I, we meant, or I did anyways, minister before like cell phones. And, you oh, know, yeah. That's right when pagers were It was coming. just actual people you could actually talk to face to face, right? Yeah, so we just didn't know how to deal with this. You know, people growing up nowadays, they don't get that. All they know are these shallow remarks from all sorts of people, and that's just the world we live in. So all of that, along with some really supernatural things that happened as I spoke with my wife, and I talk about that in the book, it was just like, whoa, I really think it's time to move on, even though we never thought we would. Um, And let's take our kids to a foreign country. My wife was pregnant with our fifth kid at that point. uh, (laughs) Sounds like a good plan. Yeah, let's just sell everything, and then I just want to go wherever God wants me to go, but it's not here anymore. Um, we were both pretty confident of that, and we just thought, well, let's, let's, maybe it's something overseas. Maybe I just don't belong in the U.S. because too many people just think I'm crazy. Um, 
But I hear this is the way it is overseas. So let's go over there and maybe we'll fit in better. What year was that that you left? Uh, uh, I think it was 2010 around yeah. there. So that yeah. was before Crazy Love? Was it before or after? Oh, no. It was after Crazy Love. It was after Crazy, Crazy Love. That's, that's been that yeah. around that long. Eh? Wow. Oh, yeah. It was like 2007, I think, was Crazy so Love. That helped really blow up Crazy Love, kind of blew up the whole church as well and the social media thing. Yes. That's hard. Yeah. To, what, what is the hardest part for you, not just as a leader, but as a human being, of handling that kind of like explosive, almost overnight notoriety? Yeah, you know, it was interesting. Like, I'm grateful because the Lord, it didn't, it didn't really happen overnight. Sure. And so, you know, when I was 21, 22, started doing like youth camps, and then they started growing to more and more and more. And so it was kind of nice to have a taste of humbling and pride and fighting and all of that. Uh, so that had been going on for a good 15 to 20 years before I launched Crazy Love. And the church had already grown tremendously. So the church was already, um, you know, four or five services. And uh, so I had tasted that. And then when the book came out, it took it to another level, not just because of the book, but because of social media. Right. And so all along, I'd say for the last 30 years, I've been in this battle with pride. Um, but in the Lord's wisdom, he gave me tastes of it uh, all through my ministry. So what does that look like? Because, I mean, we, I think everybody battles with pride at some yeah. level or another. It's one of the, the, the you know, the, the root of so many sins. And yeah. Okay. Yeah. For example, like I used to go to this uh, high school camp you know, as a high school student. And then, yeah. you know, I'd see the speaker and as my, I just became a believer. And I'm like, whoa, look at that guy. He's got everyone laughing. And then, then he gets me convicted and I want to be on that stage, you know? And it's like maybe 50-50 sin, 50-50, you know, <laughs> half ministry, you know, for the Lord and half, wow, the glory of being on a stage. And eventually I became the speaker of that camp which was a big deal back then. This is in the early 90s, you know. Mm -hmm. and, uh, mm -hmm. and I was like the young guy and, oh, we're going to let this guy come and speak. And, and, and then I remember like the last night they would have like this victory circle campfire okay. where they would share testimony. And I didn't have to be there, but I remember leaving my cabin and going to victory circle because I wanted to hear the kids say my name. Oh, wow. I wanted to just hear, gosh, I feel sick even saying this. I mean, that's, that's what it came down to. I wanted yeah. to hear someone say, the speaker was so funny. And then he said this. And so I gave my life to Jesus. And yeah, it starts with that. Mm -hmm. And that sense of, whoa, People are starting to know my name. I, I remember other times. I remember one time speaking, I think it was at like a Catalyst conference. This is probably yeah. 15 years ago or something. And and they were given out, like everyone that signed up got these, uh, um, <laughs> it was like a trash bin 
that was wrapped in, um, but there were just names on the trash bin. And it was like Hybels, Stanley, Chan. And I'm like, whoa, um, a name, <laughs> just Chan. All you got to do is say Chan and they know. And they, you know, and these things in my heart that were like excited about it. And then when I thought about the book and they gave me like mock books, you know, like, yeah, I forget which publisher yeah. and, and like, it's not a real book. It's just like, here's what the cover would look like and to see your name in print and, and then to be on magazines and, and see your face and actually like it. it it's just, it's like the Lord would, I would do it and I'd, I'd feel this joy over my face, my name, people knowing me. And then immediately after, like, God, what am I doing? What, why? Why? I hate this. I hate this. And so it's like he, I would feel it. He would show me and I would be in tears and go, dang it, I did it again. I did it again. Thank you. Thank you so much for your transparency on that. I think you're speaking into every leader, including myself. Um, how do you, how do you live in that tension? Like, I'll be honest with you when I read, and it's a fantastic book, letters to the church, heart rending. Um, but one of the reactions, because you're so passionate, you know, if anybody, anybody listening, who's heard Francis speak, you know, that it's very convicting, very real, very raw. You're, you're writing too, but it made me feel like, wow, I'm completely unqualified to lead or lead in the church because there's such a, a purity to it. And I feel those things that you feel as well. So how do you manage that tension? Like one of the ways was you say, okay, it was so ironic because you're saying, you know, I heard them say my name and I liked it and then I repented. And then eventually that's one of the things that drives you out of your church, right? Yeah. Eight years ago. So how do you, how do you wrestle that down and make sure you end up on the better side of that equation that this is a godly ambition, not a, you know, a Carrie ambition or Francis ambition? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, our goal, right, is to become like Jesus. Yeah. And, and I read the scriptures and, and I look at Paul and the things that he writes and, you, you know, and, and I just think this is all attainable for us, mm. you know, like, like through the power of the Holy Spirit, this is attainable. I, I'm not discouraged, you know, yeah. like I, yeah. I'm striving, but I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled about the things that God has done in my life. And I rejoice over that. I mean, it's not like I wake up in the morning, like just beat up over my sin. Right. Um, you know, there are moments I catch the pride and yeah, and it brings me to tears. And I hope it always does because it's just, it's some of it, you know, as I've grown as a believer, it's almost like you just, you see your own immaturity and it's not like guilt or whatever. It's just like stupid. It's like, gosh, this is so stupid. Like, I don't want to be an idiot that's all about himself. Like, I don't <laughs> want to be this. It's not like I feel guilty about it so much as, gosh, what an idiot. Who would want to take glory away from Almighty God? You know, like everything I know about him and everything I know about me as this mortal human being to think, gosh, and I'm dumb enough to want people to talk about me. You, you know, so it. 
it's it's like that law of the Lord. I think maybe when we're newer believers, at least for me, they look like restrictions or uh, like, oh, I hate that command. I hate that command. I hate that command. But as you grow in the Lord, you start going, oh, I love these commands. I just want to be that. Like, what a great thing. Almost like it's it's like working out. You see that guy that's just all chiseled and ready. <laughs> And sure, there's a depressing side of it, but there's also like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna wake up early and run. Like that motivates me. I get excited. Okay, I'm gonna hit the gym. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna push myself. Um, it's it it becomes like a an exciting thing to do to repent and to become more like Christ. And then when you see the results, like whoa, I actually don't get angry. Actually. That guy just betrayed me and I love him and I'm fasting for him. Yes, this is Christianity. And it's, it's uh, you know, so there's the victory. Yeah. I, I probably don't write enough about because I don't want to like, oh, here's how good I am in this area. <laughs> yeah. it, you know? um, but it, it's probably uh, hurtful if I don't just also say, man, what a joy when you see sanctification in your own life. Yeah. And it's a journey, isn't it? I mean, you today is different from you eight years ago, is different than you 15 years ago. One of the things I really appreciated, because it's easy, you know, to say, hey, the past and the, or the present and the future is amazing. The past was bad. But there were some really great things that happened in Simi Valley. Do you want to talk about some things that looking back at it, you're still like so grateful for? Oh, gosh, yes. I mean, that was my first big step of faith, I think, to to start a church, you know, just newly married and to see the way that God just worked through this group of people that didn't know what they were doing. You know, it was kind of like this weird, I, I remember a, a local church pastor, I asked him one time, I'm like, man, people are coming, they're serving. Like, I don't get it. Like, it's going really well. I, what is happening? And I go, everyone's eager to serve. And he said the coolest thing. He said, he goes, you ever, uh, you know, I used to wait tables. So he says, you, yeah. you ever have a new new waiter? And I go, yeah. yeah. Like the waiter's first night. And I go, yeah. And he goes, you know, he's fumbling. He's nervous. He's, you know, doesn't know the menu, doesn't know this or that. He goes, do you get angry at him? And I go, no, not if I know it's his first night. You know, I'll pour the water for him. I'll, I'll help punch in every, you know, like you want to help the guy. He goes, well, that's what people are doing for you. <laughs> man, this guy doesn't know what he's doing and he's totally cool with letting everyone know. So they're jumping in and he goes, that's a great way to start a church. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Cool. You know, so it was just fun days where we're just like, let's try this. Let's try this. And I I think one of the greatest joys I remember, um, and I wouldn't have started the church without it was an older man named Ron Wilson. Actually, he's probably about my age. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but back then, he was an older man. <laughs> older guy now. But I'm like, wow, this is the oldest guy I know. And he, he had been an elder at another church. And I just threw the idea out to him. Like, what if I started a church? And I remember Ron telling me, Francis, I believe in you. If you started a church, I would go with you. I would follow you anywhere. And to hear an older man mm. look at this Married for two weeks, 26-year-old, that had failed in ministry in so many ways. 
And yet he believed in me. And when he said, I would go with you, and then to have my wife of a couple of weeks go, okay, we didn't talk about this, but I'm with you. Like that kind of support. Uh, and the Lord just kept bringing wonderful people like that into my life for the 17, I think 16 and a half, 17 years I was at Cornerstone, that just all along the way, people that loved me, prayed for me, supported me, people to this day that say, I pray for you every single day. That blows my mind. Yeah. I don't pray for anyone. I don't pray for my I know. every single day. And they'll look me straight in the eye and go, no, I literally do when I say that. And I'm just like, that type of prayer support, um, that type of love, as we saw, I mean, people were baptized literally every weekend. And, and I mean, there are weekends where there'd be 30, 40 people baptized and, and just, and a lot of them are walking the Lord, have planted churches. We planted churches out of Cornerstone. I mean, it's missionaries have been sent. I mean, these are great, great things that I just, I'll forever be grateful for. Yeah. There were some things, though, that, that honestly you're like, yeah, I'm not sure I would do it the same way again. So when you look back on it, you talked about some of it, you know, uh, yeah. the popularity, the, the personal devotion, people, people kind of being attached to you maybe a little more than you're comfortable with. What are some other things? And, and this is true probably of Cornerstone, but also of other churches. What are some things when you look at the church, because you've written some letters to the church, you're like, yeah, it shouldn't be this way. Yeah. I mean, it shouldn't rely so much on one person, Yeah. I, right? I mean, biblically, I mean, you think about that phrase, you know, to each one is given a manifestation of the Holy Spirit for the common good. Again, we, we say Holy Spirit like, oh, no, we do. Holy Spirit this, Holy Spirit. No, do you understand? Like everyone, every believer has a way in which the Spirit of God Almighty works through them to bless the body of Christ. Wow. Like that is a that is such an honor to think, okay, right now, right now, okay, as we're on this interview, God Almighty, are you speaking through me? Is this God? Coming through, is this? Can we actually label this the Holy Spirit of God manifesting through Francis Chan for the body of Christ? Are you kidding me right now? Is that happening? Is it the Holy Spirit of God right now? Because if if this is, and I I hope there's some truth to that. Yeah. Yeah. But I want even more. I want even more. I want even more. The thought of having a chance of God Almighty manifesting through me to bless other people. And, you know, like he says, to be eager for the building up of the body of Christ. I want this. I want this so badly. Even in this podcast right now, I want almighty God moving through me. Man, the thought that everyone in the church can experience something that equally as powerful as this, and, and I'm hoping for greater and greater things in my life. I feel like I'm just scratching the surface. I feel like our church is just scratching the surface. Like, this is a big deal that typically everyone comes to Sunday morning 
hoping to get something from the senior pastor rather than believing the Holy Spirit of God is going to manifest through me for the common good. I love these people so much. So I've been praying all week. God, I love them. I love them. I love them. Manifest through me as I get together with them so that I can be a blessing to them. And if they did that, it would change their lives. Like, you know, when the Holy Spirit moves through you, you just go to bed at night going, again, God, tomorrow. Like, Mm. great being fed, but it takes it to another level when you are used by God to build other people up. And so few people experience that in the American church. And I think some of it is our fault as leaders because we don't really set it up so that they can express that, you know? And and that's what I'm saying is I'm trying to figure out a way where they can use their gifts um, because it's massive. And I think it'll change their lives as well as those around them. So I want to drill down on that, Francis, but I I wonder, because I don't want to skip this part of the story. Uh, After you left Simi Valley in California and Cornerstone Church, you went into Asia for a number of years. You moved your whole family literally to the other side of the world. Um, What did you learn in Asia? Gosh, I learned that there are some amazing saints of God that when you read the scriptures and then you look at their lives, you go, okay, perfect congruency. You know, like when I wrote Crazy Love, whatever, you know, a dozen years ago, it was that incongruent gap. Like I read scripture and then I look at what we call Christian and go, these are two different things. Overseas, when I met some of these believers, so many, like thousands of these believers and to see the scars on their bodies and the tireless hours they've worked and the years they've spent in prison and the readiness to die and suffer for the gospel. I go, oh, I feel like this is the New Testament. Wow. I finally, I'm, I'm in the middle of it. And I remember one time in India going, gosh, isn't there, because <laughs> everyone I was meeting was like this, where it's like, whoa, you sacrifice what? It's like everyone. And, and I was like, okay, aren't there pockets in this area where there's like nominal believers, people that call themselves Christians and they don't really sacrifice, but they've prayed and asked Jesus into their lives. And, and the leader said, no, he goes, why would anyone do that? He goes, because He says, here, if you get baptized, you lose everything. So why would how could you casually get baptized? You lose your job, you lose your livelihood, you lose your family. No one would make that decision unless they really were ready to follow Jesus. And so, oh my gosh, that makes all the sense in the world. We say, hey, pray a prayer. There's no skin off your, you got no skin in the game. Just pray, ask Jesus into your life. You, you know, you don't have to give anything up. There it's like, no, you get baptized, you give it all up. So who would do that casually? And, and so here when there's no cost, uh, and it's like, wow, I never thought of that because it was weird. I'm like, 
this can't be that everyone is like this, that all the believers are like this. But then when you realize this is the cost, it's like, oh, yeah. Okay, that makes sense. It's like joining the Marines. And like, Man, yeah. You can't all be in shape. Well, yeah, that's kind of what we signed up for. <laughs> that's right. That's right. You're all in shape. Enough for that. But you guys all be in shape and we're not, you know. So. Why did you pick Asia and and that part of the world? Why didn't Why didn't you go to Canada? Why didn't you go to Europe? You know, sit in France and eat grapes. Like, yeah, this is so lame. You guys are gonna laugh, but okay. I was debating between Africa and El Salvador. Okay, so okay. I was doing some things in Uganda, and then I had a friend who was looking at something in El Salvador, or he'd been doing ministry in El Salvador. I thought, okay, let's just move our family to one of these places. And it was one of my friends that was helping me wrestle through is this guy, Dave Gibbons, um, who's creating yeah, the name. Yeah. yeah. I love Dave. He's like a brother to me. <laughs> He's like, where are you going to go? I go, uh, I go, it's right now it's between Uganda and El Salvador. And he's like, what? <laughs> Why don't you go to Asia? He goes, let me show you, you know, go to Thailand, go to, go to China, go to, I go, well, I don't know. I don't know. He goes, come on, you're not black. You're not, you're not Mexican. <laughs> you're not Hispanic. You're not African-American. He goes, you're Chinese. Go to Asia. And I'm like, Okay. <laughs> so it was deeply spiritual, really yeah, deep spiritual decision. Spiritual, just like, don't you even want to see like the ministry, like where you came from? You're not from Africa. You're not from El Salvador. <laughs> just go to Asia. He goes, I'll take you to Thailand. I got to show you what's going on, you know, amongst these people. And he was just so excited. And he goes, oh, and the food's so much better. <laughs> <laughs> the food's so much better. You know, if you know Dave, he's a big foodie. So anyways. He's just like, it's cheap, it's this, it's this, it's this. And I thought, all right, why not? Like, it's, it's uh -huh. just, that's in my life. I, you know, people think, wow, you really plotted this out or that out. It's like, no, I, uh, I don't think things through as much as people think I do. But you came back, which is yeah. really interesting. So how, how many years were you there? I was only there a few months. Oh, um, really? Yes. I got and this I, idea that you were in like this multi-year exile with your family. Yeah, and was plan, you know, was like, we just, we didn't have anything to come home to. There was no home. Yeah. You, you sold everything, right? Like, we just prayed. Like when we were in India, Lord, do you want us to stay here? We'll stay here. Um, we have nowhere to go. So then we went to Thailand. It's like, we stayed there for a month. It's like, okay, God, do you want us to stay here? We'll just live here. We're fine. We, you know. And, and then we went to China and same type of thing. And, but here's what I learned there. Um, every place when we moved on, and this, this I think is an important teaching point, like sometimes in America, we think the need is overseas. So I'm going to go overseas. Well, true. There's tremendous need overseas. There are places that have not heard the gospel or everything else. But the best way to meet that need is not to just get an airplane ticket and fly over there because you don't even know the language. <laughs> um, and so I'm at these places and we're needing to find translators uh, to get my message across to them, which I, I don't even know if it got across to them. <laughs> so now I'm using their resources 
and wasting this person's time to translate for me. And who knows how it comes out on the other end. And meanwhile, it's like, gosh, like right now, this is my wheelhouse speaking in English to people in America because I know the heart language. I study the scriptures in my heart language. I communicate in my heart language. You know, my Chinese is horrible. You know, I don't speak, you know, Hindi or, or Thai. And, um, and you just realize I'm really worthless unless I really take the time to prepare and go overseas. And, um, you know, so for anyone listening that's thinking, gosh, yeah, there's need over there. I'm just going to fly over there. <laughs> You're probably going to waste a lot of money and time to learn this lesson that I learned that if I'm going to do this, I better really study because a little two week, you know, mission trip over there. Um, I mean, what if someone came over here to America and only spoke a few sentences <laughs> and tried to convert you, you know, out, out of this whole lifestyle? Is that really going to do it? Um, really think about preparation and all of that. And yet what it did do being out there was it gave me a glimpse of what the church could be in America. Mm. And that's where when I was in Hong Kong, I felt like God was, you know, and again, I, I want to be careful when I say I felt like God communicated to me um, because I am a man of the word, the word, the word, the word, the word, scripture, scripture, Bible, Bible, Bible. That is 99 point whatever percent of everything I feel I hear from the Lord is from studying the scriptures in my time. Me too. With, you know. Yeah. But it was one of those occasions where I really believe the Lord was impressing clearly on my mind that I was supposed to come back to the U.S. and that I was supposed to take what I had learned there and try to implement it here. There were thoughts in my head of churches existing like this, like I talk about in the book. But I was just there was just too much pushback from people. And maybe I just wasn't strong enough to stay on my ground and say, no, it can be like this. And it's not just because it's cultural. People make a decision. And it's not just because we're not persecuted. We can choose to love this way. We can choose to sacrifice this way. It doesn't have to be that it only happens when it's forced upon us. And so it was a very, very difficult time with the Lord. Very disheartening. I don't know if disheartening is the right word. Just discouraging because I loved being with my family on this adventure overseas and dreaded the thought of coming back to America. And I knew they would also because we had never just felt so alive. But I believe the Lord wanted me back and that we could somehow that he wanted to recreate some of that in us right here in America. Yeah. And so you came back and tell us about it. You planted in you went to San Francisco. Is that right? Where you've got a new church? Like, what is what is the thinking behind that? No, there's no new church. And there was nothing. Again, it's like one of those weird things where I was going to move to L.A. and um, work over by USC in the inner city there and maybe start something there, some campus ministry. And then that my housing fell through last minute. And then my brother had a one-bedroom apartment here in San Francisco that he said I could borrow, you know, for a while. And so there was really basically, other than living with friends in their homes, we just didn't have anything to go to. So we went to San Francisco 
Um, so again, it's not like this well thought through plan. It's like, okay, well, there's a bedroom here. Let's go. Um, that's really what it was like. And I knew I wanted to be in a bigger city, um, because I, I thought it's easier to make less of myself in a bigger city, the easier to get lost in a bigger city and just more people that I could minister to in a larger city. And so that's how we ended up in San Francisco was, um, well, it's a bigger city and there's an apartment there. Let's just go for a while till the Lord calls us elsewhere. And now we've been here for seven years. So, <laughs> And that's incredible. And tell us about your new church and how it's different. When you, when you replanted, you started We Are Church, right? Yeah, and that wasn't even supposed to be the name. Like, <laughs> it's just a placeholder, right? Like, uh-huh. it, this was probably five years ago. So the first few years here, I just did ministry in the inner city. Again, it was almost like a Jonah, like running from my calling. Because I was still scared to lead. Uh, I was scared of the traps, scared of, you know, my own insecurities, uh, you know, insecurity, pride, whatever it may be. It's like, I don't want to lead. So let me just get lost and serve in this ministry. And I don't want anyone to know me. Let me just feed the poor, share the gospel, make disciples. But um, yeah, that fell apart after a while. And it was like, I just knew God had called me to lead and I just didn't want to. But then five years ago, looked at my wife and said, hey, let's let's do it again. Let's just start out of our house and let's just grab some of our friends and let's just start a church. Um, but let's make it different. Let's make sure it doesn't revolve around us. Let's let's make it so that it it's we just raise up disciples and, and split the church off. And, you know, we had all these different ideas and maybe every six months to a year, every church will split. So it forces us to make leaders, you know, that'll lead these house churches. And um, once it gets so big, let's keep spreading it. Let's use all lay people. Let's try to do it with no budget. Um, And so it was just like, uh, and again, it, it was when they came, I was like, gosh, there's no name for us. I mean, we shouldn't have a name. I mean, the idea in, in the scriptures is that we are church. Like church isn't a building with a name on it. It's this group of, it's it's us. We are church. You don't go to church. Church is us, you know, and, and we'll figure out a name. Right now, just know that we are church. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how you became. Yeah. And then it's like, can we just exist without a name? But then that's the first thing everyone asks is what's the name of your church? We are a church. I don't know. <laughs> and so here we are again, me and my thought through plans. Uh, now we're, we just, we're stuck with the name now is our name is we are church, which I guess is cool because it makes you have to explain it. Everyone's like, what? Now <laughs> we're just trying to explain that, you know, it's not about the name of this thing. We together, we are the church, but I don't know. I well, I, I I appreciate the candor and the honesty, and and in the book, you you in your chapter on shepherding, I thought it was interesting. You talk about the traps of avoiding criticism. I'll just run through the list real quick: yeah. uh, avoiding criticism, fundraising, comparison, meeting expectations, popularity, safety, greed, and even demonic attack. Um, interesting. How have you set up? We are church 
so that you are maybe more cognizant of those traps. And maybe it's it's organized in such a way that would be less likely to lead to to those things and and which which in your view, you know, are probably the most deadly you need to avoid. Wow. I mean, in ministry it seems like pride pride I mean pride in scripture like like we make certain things bigger than others. Um mm-hmm. but pride is massive. Like I don't know of anything God hates more. When I if I if I were to look through the scriptures from my humble understanding of scripture and go, okay, what sin does God hate most? I think it's pride. Yeah. That's a big deal. Okay. You know, and so when people are confronted about pride and they defend themselves, no, I'm not. You're proud. You know, it's like <laughs> if someone is, you know, just the thought of someone, and I've had it happen in my life where people will tell me I'm being proud. Like, it's like, oh, no, oh, no. It's it's like someone telling you you've got this cancer that has spread throughout your body. You better take it seriously. Like, are you serious? You know, a doctor has told me I've got cancer all through these internal organs. I better, uh, you know, like we should have that response if someone even throws that word out, you you know? And so uh, it's a big, big deal is what I'm saying. And, and there is something nice about like what we've done in the church to help avoid some of that is not make it about one person, um, but to value everyone in their gifts. And the pastor's job is if you're doing your job, then I better hear about everyone in that gathering using their gifts. And we're making much of the lowly and the ones that the world would not look at and saying they are necessary. Um, there's also not an opportunity to, to build a giant church here and have your name known by everyone um, because your job is to make disciples. And once you get to 20, 30 people, it's time to split that church. So you'll never be a pastor of more than 30. Okay. Your name's not going to be known. Um, you're passing it on to this next group of people. Just simple things like that of becoming great disciple makers and shepherds. That's really helpful. Um, having the elders, uh, we, we have elders in the church that oversee the pastors and, very close to the elders. And when I was in India one time at this pastor's gathering where these guys are leading literally millions of people. And I asked the leader of it all, like, how do you organize all this? He just laughed and he says, you know, you Americans, you always want to know structure and this and that. He goes, here's what I will tell you. These men in front of you are the most humble men I know. He goes, my biggest mistake was bringing guys on who were not humble. I destroyed people because they were gifted and I wanted to use their gift, even though I knew they were not humble. It didn't help the church and it did not help them. When I look for leaders, I look for humility above all things. And and he goes, and I look for people who really know and love Jesus, like so I, I, I know you want to talk strategy and structure because you're American, but here's what I will tell you. These men know God deeply and they're the most humble people I know. And 
so when looking for elders, like those have become like my number, my two top criteria is, are they humble? Are they known for being humble? They're, you know, there's just ooze out of them, you know, where in no way do they want their name known. And, and uh, you know, and do they know Jesus when I talk to them? Mm-hmm. Are they talking about, oh, it's what Jesus more. Look what I learned in scripture. Oh, I love Jesus. I, I'm just praising him. I have this joy that's inexpressible all in Jesus. So when I have that as the elders and there's there's six guys now who are elders so i've stepped off the elder board because uh, you know what i you guys still defer to me too much and i would gladly come under the leadership of you six guys you're the godliest men around that i know of i trust you more than i trust myself you six come to a decision for the church for me and everyone else I don't dare be arrogant enough and say, well, I know better because I've had all these years of ministry. No, you're humble. You know the Lord. If you pray, you come to a decision. I will come under it and support you. And the world needs to see more and more people come under church leadership like that. And so if I can model that, you know, because if anyone in our church has a right to rebel against you, you know, from a fleshly perspective, it would be me and I will be your number one fan and support you 100%, never gossip about you, you know, because that's the way uh, I want the rest of the church to be. And so when you have guys like that at the leadership and they're discipling the pastors, then the pastors are discipling the people. There's just going to be this flow, I believe, of godliness. Um, So Hmm. I kind of a long answer, but no, that's a great answer. Yeah. And toward the end of the book, you 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 hint at this and you unpack it a little bit, but I'd love in our in our last few minutes to pick your brain on church B and B. So use the example of a hotel chain, and then you say there's Airbnb, fewer employees, owns no real estate. What if we were church B and B? Is that what you've modeled in San Francisco or what you're trying to model in San Francisco? And can you unpack that a bit for us? Yeah. Yeah. Someone brought it up to me. They go, gosh, you're like Airbnb for church. And I'm like, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> it's, it was a, you know, Airbnb was a brilliant idea that you thought, okay, but will it work? There's too many, you know, this, that, you know, but it's working. And mm-hmm. especially in cities like San Francisco, where it's so expensive. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. And, uh, but it, it requires, a sacrificing of your home and going, okay, I'm going to let strangers live in my house. Um, and like live in your house. Oh no. Airbnb. You're talking about Airbnb. Yeah. Yeah. Someone's just going to sign up. I don't know them and they're going to, you know, with that whole privacy thing that, uh, Uh that, that for a lot of us like, Whoa, you know, um, but you realize, gosh, they're doing that in the world and for money, can we do it for the gospel? And, so it's the same idea of we don't own real estate and it's just it's just a smaller environment. It doesn't mean like there's anything wrong with staying in a hotel. It's just another option. And the idea of having churches in our homes, like so far for the last five years, so we've got like 20 something churches now and uh, 40 to 50 pastors and it costs nothing. So we have zero budget. And meanwhile, these pastors are growing like crazy because they're actually having to shepherd the people. Um, 
and they're they're using their resources, they're opening up their homes, and it's one of these things that's transferable anywhere in the world, um, which I believe for the sake, as I talk to leaders of missions agencies, they're telling me the unreached are largely in restricted countries where you can't go and buy a plot of land, build a church building and hold a service. And it's just not wise in so many places. And so these missions leaders are going, we want everyone expressing church the way you do because it's transferable. This is the only way we'll reach the unreached Mm -hmm. is if people learn to work jobs, make disciples in their own homes and spread that. Um, Much like the underground church in China. I mean, you weren't going to build churches over there. They were going to be shut down, torn down. You can't have these large gatherings. And with the instability of even our own country, where if we think everything's going to be the same in 10 years, I don't know anyone that thinks everything's going to be the same in 10 years, right? It's going to be, who knows if we'll even be a country. It's like, there's so much that's volatile. This just makes sense. I feel like, like my job, like with my kids who are now graduating college or leaving the house, some of them, I still have a toddler at home, but <laughs> you know, it's, which is crazy. But um, I, I love the security of knowing they know the Lord deeply. They know how to pray. They know how to study the scriptures. They know how to make disciples. You can drop my daughters off anywhere on the planet. And I really believe they will thrive as believers. And I believe that was my job as a dad is I don't want to have to worry about, can they hold down a job? Can they, you know, keep their faith? Do they need a giant youth group so that they'll, you know, stay the course? I I mean, I got to prepare these warriors. And, and I feel like I look at the elders and the pastors now and go and drop them off in any country and uh, they'll be okay. And, and now look at the people. They're starting to become those types of people that are saying, yeah, put me anywhere. I'll be fine. Versus what I was so used to is people leaving Cornerstone Church, moving somewhere else. I couldn't find another church like it. So I don't know. You know. I don't so, really go anymore. Yeah. yeah anymore. I'm getting depressed. I don't know if I even believe this anymore. And, and it's like, gosh, I need to raise people they can go anywhere, do anything. Like that's what Jesus was doing, was making those types of disciples. And uh, and not that there aren't some in, in every gathering. It's just, it's become like a new, like obsession of mine as I look at all the people in the gatherings and go, okay, I got to make sure like they're my own kids. I want them to be able to stand on their own two feet wherever they are. So that this can be an overwhelming vision, a, a totally different kind of church. And, you know, I can only imagine the pastors who are listening going, okay, I guess I need to quit, move to Asia for a few months, and then come back and start over again. Is it even possible to transition an existing church into uh, maybe a more biblically authentic community in the sense of you've got people who are truly equipped? And if so, where would you even start with that? Yeah, I I think about this, and I I haven't seen it done yet. I keep mm-hmm. believing it can be, and I've seen guys try and fail. Uh, I tried and failed, um, 
but I didn't really, I didn't have enough knowledge or wisdom at the time. So you didn't really have this vision either in, you know, the same way when you were at Cornerstone by the sounds of it. And from what I read, right. So I knew I was wrong, but I didn't know how to get us to point B, you know, so I get there and go, this is wrong. You know, (laughs) and it's like, ah, not helping the cause. So, but now I, I, here's, here's what I think. And again, I, because there are days when I think, okay, I have been given a gift to teach Mm -hmm. and now go, okay. And I do get opportunities. Sometimes we do larger gatherings. Um, It's not every week. It's just occasionally, like even right now, you know, the elders talking to me, maybe we do like a four week series on a Wednesday night prayer just to give you an outlet to preach to the people you're preaching builds us up, you know? And it's like, yeah, I'd love to do that. Um, there's got to be some sort of hybrid in there where a preacher can use his gifts, but not overuse it. Um, and so that's what we're trying to figure out. And, and I think, like, I don't believe I'm a great leader. Um, there are other guys that I go, man, he's just great and mobilizing and leading. And so that's why I think I don't have the answer to that one, but I believe uh-huh great leaders out there, bet much better leaders than I am, who are the ones that are going to figure that out. Um, I'm kind of like a entrepreneur type where I, I love to just start something new, but to change something existing like that um, takes a great leader. Um, and that's above my pay grade, but I, I'm praying <laughs> that someone figures out, but here's, here's the, here's the difficult thing about transition is People are just, we gravitate towards what's easiest. And if I can go to a place and I've had a long week, I've worked many hours or I'm a single mom and I'm this, that, I just want to go somewhere and rest and be fed and someone else feed my kids for a while spiritually. Um, Or, uh, you know, I'm going to host people in my home and be their spiritual leader and parent them. Um, you know, given the option, I think so many of us have overextended ourselves. We're just tired and we just want to go somewhere and have them feed us. And I can write a check and have them take care of us. So it would require a pastor to just say, man, the best thing for you is not that. And I'm not going to let you do that. And I dream about this. I may start something new, you know, uh, where Maybe there is a way to, because the church is so strong right now here. Again, it's one of those moments where I'm looking at these elders going, whoa, these are godly men who challenge me and the church is growing without me preaching. uh, And believers are getting really edified and growing and serving and sharing the gospel. And I'm doing nothing, which is awesome. But what's (laughs) awesome is that I'm doing nothing, you know, Like, okay, maybe I can create some sort of hybrid thing where I preach, but I have such a determination of there's no way, you know, like maybe I'll do a midweek Bible study, you know, just pure Bible teaching and and prayer and, and then launch those people into these gatherings and, and make sure they're all using their gifts with the knowledge that I'll just quit preaching if it becomes centered around that again, or centered around the service or I don't know. I, 
actually, maybe we shouldn't even put this online because, or in the podcast, because I am just making it up and I don't know that it's actually going to happen. Or maybe it's good that people see into the mind of Francis if he has a million ideas that never come to fruition. I'll leave that up to you. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> if you're listening, this is how we make decisions. No, you know, Francis, and I appreciate it. I mean, God's given you a heart and a mind that is convicting and challenging and you know, you're modeling a very, very different way that has been effective. And one of the things I love about you is you're you're always excited about the future and what could be. And I think that just shows that. So I know we are at the end of our time. Uh, I feel like this could go on another hour easily, uh, but maybe it'll be another time. And Francis, I know that today the book Letters to the Church comes out. If people are interested in picking up a copy, um, where, where can they find you online these days? Where are you hanging out? Well, all of my stuff is at crazylove.org. Yeah. Um, don't judge the website. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's still kind of ugly. We're still working on it. But yes, crazylove.org. Yeah. And this will be wherever books are sold, too. You can pick it yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Francis, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. And thanks for the investment you continue to make in the wider church. It's making a big difference. Oh, good. Thank you. Man, Francis, thanks so much for just an inside look at the journey over the last decade and for being so honest. It's a powerful book, Letters to the Church. Uh, I read it along with Andy's this summer, Irresistible. Andy was on last week, Andy Stanley, that is. He's just kind of Andy, isn't he? That's what everybody calls him. But anyway, uh, you can get all the links to everything we talked about in the show notes, which you can find at kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 218, or go to leadlikeneverbefore.com and just search out Francis's name, Francis Chan. You will find all the show notes there with all the links to everything we talked about, including the books and some details on my contest. So this week for the next seven days, you can win $25 Starbucks gift cards simply by posting your favorite quote from my latest book, Didn't See It Coming. So you can do that pretty easily if you're just, you know, you have a physical copy of the book or a Kindle. Audiobook listeners, and I read the audiobook for this, uh, you'll have to be more creative. Maybe create a graphic, just use the hashtag Didn't See It Coming book, and we will use that hashtag on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to search out the winners and you may be randomly picked. So that would be a lot of fun and we'll, we'll get that gift card to you. So you win the price of the book back or sometimes actually Amazon sells it for less. You make a profit in coffee. Like how good is that? When you buy a book, it's like, yeah, I made money on the book and it came in the form of coffee. That's a good deal. So use the hashtag didn't see it coming book on social. We will check you out and uh, maybe you'll be a winner this week as well. Thank you to everybody for launch month for didn't see it coming. If you haven't picked up the book yet, go check it out at didn't see it coming book.com and make sure you also check out trainedup.church. You can get free support, 90 day money back guarantee and 10% off for life by using the coupon code carry. It's time for you to get off the fence and just start training your volunteers online. Hey, next week, we're back with a fresh episode and we have an incredible lineup next month. And who do we have as we go into October? Well, why don't we start off with a really fun live interview I did in Charlotte this summer with Scott Harrison from um, Charity Water. It's all about, wow, we covered so many subjects, how to relate to high capacity leaders and donors, the explosive growth of Charity Water, and how about this? What being a nightclub promoter in New York 
taught him about leadership. Here's an excerpt. My salary doesn't change. If we do three, 30 million or 50 million or 70 million, like I don't drive a nicer car. Um, it's the people out there that get clean water. So I really did feel like I had let people down by our, you know, my inability to grow the organization and continue impacting more lives. So I took that pretty hard. You know, I had a conversation with my dad and he's like, son, I've been in business 30 years. Like it doesn't always go up and to the right. <laughs> you know, like think of any business that has a linear you know, graph up and to the right. It just doesn't happen. He said, did you compromise any of your values? I'm like, no. You know, well, did you have integrity as an organization? I'm like, yeah. I said, dad, outside of the numbers, our down year was actually the best year for programs and sustainability and all this other innovative stuff that just didn't translate to, in that way, to people getting directly clean water. And he's like, well, let's go back to work. Oh, there you go. All right. <laughs> any of you are burning out, let's go back to work. Um, <laughs> That was a fantastic interview. It's coming your way next week. We also have Rachel Cruz, Max Lucado, and Patrick Lencioni, followed by Levi Lusco. That's not a reason to subscribe. I don't know what is, but you can do it for free wherever you get your podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you like to listen. We are there. And uh, yeah, subscribing is free. We're back next week with a fresh episode. Thank you so much for listening. And hey, I really do hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.